0: good morning morning. some of us have been awake since six o'clock so if i start to drop off while i'm preaching i've been preaching at the dam as well this morning that's my excuse today is a great day it's resurrection day it's the day when we celebrate jesus rising from the dead if you have a bible in front of you you might want to turn to luke chapter 24 and i'm going to read the first 12 verses if you're at the service at the dam you've already heard this but you won't have heard what follows so please don't fall asleep He is not here, he is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others who were with them when they told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. Let's pray again, shall we? He is not here. He is risen. Lord, we just thank you for those words this morning. And we just pray that as we open up your, your word to us today, that you'll give us whatever encouragement we need to be followers of the risen Christ this morning. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I <clears throat> wonder if anyone has been to this place. Put your hand up if you've been. Have we got any Welsh speakers in the room? Oh, that's a shame. I was hoping somebody would pronounce this. Andy, can you pronounce that for us? You're being pointed at. That'll do. It means, it means waterfall of the spring, apparently. And it's quite near Osworth Street. It's absolutely stunning. Go for a day out. Go and see this waterfall. But if you want to go to this waterfall, you have to drive to, from this village. Go on, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was good. That was good. Well done. Well done. I did look up how to say that. I was going to impress you with my Welsh pronunciation, but there were two different versions that were totally different, so I thought I'm not going to risk that one. But there is a road from this village up to that waterfall, and as you travel along this road, if you put your satnav on, you know sat-nav, sat-navs are deceivers, aren't they? If I don't know if you've noticed this. But it says three miles 11 minutes. You are having a laugh. The road that goes from this place up to that beautiful waterfall took us 40 minutes. And that was going. Because it's a road that is one of these single-track roads with the odd passing place every now and again. And then at the end of it, apart from the waterfall and the tea shop, there is nothing else. It's a dead end. It just runs out of steam. So what do you do? You go, you have a look at the beautiful waterfall, you spend your time there, and then you have to come all the way back. Now, on the way back, I think it was even longer, wasn't it, Claire? We got behind a tractor for a while, then we got behind somebody delivering something in the biggest truck I've ever seen, and there were cars backing up all over the place, and you sort of think, dead-end roads are not always that much fun. Sometimes life, though, can feel a bit like a dead-end. It can feel like life is just a journey that we keep going down, and we know that eventually we're going to run out of road. Eventually, our mortality will catch up with us, and we will, like the rest of humanity, we will all die. Now, I saw this on Facebook the other day, and this sums up sometimes, I think, what adult life is like. Not that, that's the journey, Um, so forget that. That probably sums up adult life as well. But here we go, look at this. Adulthood is saying, but after this week, things will slow down a bit, over and over, until you die. Do you ever find yourself in that kind of way of thinking? If I can only get this week over with, things will be better, then I'll be able to be the person I want to be. I'll be able to do the things I want to do, and I will just keep going, and life will be wonderful, and then we never quite make that destination. And all that happens is it feels like we're running out of road. Luke's Gospel, chapter 24. Luke sets the scene, and we're in the garden. We're in the scene of the garden tomb. And it's very early in the morning. The Sabbath, the day of Jewish rest has just ended. And a group of women come down to the tomb side of Jesus to anoint his body with spices. They did this. It was a cultural thing and people would do it to stop the body from smelling. If you think about a cultural equivalent, it'd be like seeing somebody going to a graveside to place flowers on the grave. Um, it's very normal. There is nothing unusual about this scene here. But then we need to remember the backstory. The man who is in the tomb is no ordinary man. Jesus, who has been buried, was somebody who for three years had been around Israel, teaching and preaching, performing miracles and raising people from the dead. And Luke, in his gospel, um, is, it paints his most incredible picture of the life of Jesus as somebody who demands attention. Right from his birth, think back to Christmas, Luke's gospel is the one that has the angel choirs singing glory to God in the highest heaven. It's Luke who has the 12-year-old Jesus at the temple talking to the teachers. And it's Luke who keeps going through the life of Jesus saying, here is somebody you need to look at. The whole biography of Jesus that Luke paints is that Jesus is no ordinary man. But Luke is also a highly skilled person. Luke was a doctor. He's a physician. He knows what he's talking about. When he talks about somebody being dead, he knows what he means. Actually, interestingly, he's the only gospel writer, to use medical terminology, in his writing. He's a clever man. He knows how to write. And in chapter 23 of Luke's gospel, Luke has told us that Jesus has been killed, that the road, as it seems, has run out, that the dead end has happened. The Roman cross was there with Jesus hanging on it. And it would seem that all the things that had gone before have come to an end. But actually, even as Jesus is crucified, miracles start to take place. If you're here on Friday, we looked at some of those miracles that were taking place while Jesus hangs on the cross. Darkness descends. The temple, the curtain in the temple tears in two, opening the holy place. Tombs are opened and the dead are raised and people after the resurrection are seen again. A Roman centurion and a criminal both profess faith in a dying man. But all this has now happened. All the hopes of Messiah now seem to be a dead end. And this, for many human beings, is where life ends, at the graveside with a few friends. We had a staff retreat um, just a couple of weeks ago, and we were down in a church just a a couple of miles away from here. We were in a church hall, and it was an Anglican church, and the the little church hall that we were sat in, there was a plaque on the wall and it was a brass plaque, and it said the name of this vicar who'd been there for eight years, and it was in commemoration of his ministry. Now, this ministry took place sometime in the 1990s, so there were probably quite a lot of people around who could remember 20 years ago. If I look around the room today, most of us can remember 20 years ago, with, with some notable exceptions. Apologies if you're, if you're significantly younger than that. But actually, that was 10 years of life summed up in a plaque on a wall, and that was all that would be remembered. The road had run out, if you like, for that ministry. I don't know what had happened, but the road road had finished. That, That ministry had finished. And actually, a lot of life is like that, isn't it? We just run out of road. We run out of steam. And the reality of human existence is that unless you're going to be Shakespeare, or Christopher Columbus, or Mozart, or some kind of great world leader, you'll be very fortunate if you actually get a plaque at all. Most of us, and I probably count myself here, we will not get plaques on walls. We will just be a footnote in history and don't you think that actually the scariest prospect for any human being is to stand at a graveside and think well that's it back to dust we go there is no hope there is no plan there is no purpose there is no eternity and no soothing words of new atheism can get rid of that scary prospect that that is all there is but actually when we look in luke's gospel something very different happens The women arrive at the tomb. Verse 3, they enter. There's no body there. Now, this is still a normal sort of thing to happen. There were lots of grave robberies took place in the first century because people had the habit of being buried with their possessions. So some people would be buried with gold or with money or things like that. So it was an easy target. The person guarding that gold or money is not going to do anything if you rob them. And so people would go and they would steal from graveyards. But in verse 4, something happens something that is not a normal experience, something that is beyond what we would experience naturally as human beings. And just as Luke has announced had the birth of Jesus announced by angels, who announces the resurrection? It's these men in bright clothes, these angelic beings that tell the women, why are you looking for the living among the dead? Why are you looking for life in this place of dead end? Don't look here, because he is risen. We sang that hymn at the beginning. Christ the Lord is risen today. It's not has, it's is, because Jesus is still risen. So before we look at what this means, is it reasonable to believe in the resurrection of Jesus? Do miracles actually happen? Yesterday morning, I managed to wake myself up by knocking a cup of water over my head. (laughs) And I sort of howled out um, and woke Claire up at the same time. Now, that was just annoying. That was annoying. I don't know if you've ever woken yourself up in that kind of way. But what was really unusual was I had this great big mug from Ikea full of water next to the bed on the bedside cabinet. And as I knocked it, it splashed some over my head and then wedged between the bedside cabinet and the bed and spilled no more. So I was thinking I would have to clear up a huge amount of water, and there was none, just that that had landed on me. It was a miracle. Well, actually, it wasn't a miracle. (laughs) It wasn't a miracle. Because things like that can happen, can't they? Now, the chances are I could do that a million times, and it would never happen again. But it is possible. Things like that can happen. Resurrection just doesn't happen, not as a human event. It's not a a one-in-a-million event. It's something that can only happen if God is present. Now, I've told this story before, but apologies for telling it again. But I was once playing the organ for a service one Easter Sunday. I must have been about 18 or 19 at the time. And it wasn't the church I was part of. I was just visiting this church. And, and the preacher said, it doesn't matter if Jesus physically rose from the dead. It really doesn't matter. The idea of resurrection is the idea of new life. It's the idea of springtime. It's the idea of the flowers and the bees and the daffodils. Now, if I'd have been just a little bit older or a bit more confident, I'd have stuck my hand up and said, can I just take a little bit of issue with with what you've said there? You know, I have nothing against daffodils, but people do not get martyred for daffodils. People do not give their life over for daffodils and tulips. The claims of the New Testament are not that resurrection is some kind of nice idea that we can either think about and think, yeah, that sounds all right. It's either true or it's the biggest load of rubbish ever. It's either true or it's not. Jesus either came out of the tomb physically or he didn't. So the New Testament, the New Testament claims, plain and simply, that Jesus rose from the dead. The Apostle Paul, Paul was one of the leaders in the early church in the centuries that followed, and he wrote this a couple of decades later. This is from the book of 1 Corinthians. He was writing to a church in Corinth. He said, for what I received, I passed on to you as first importance." that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the Twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters all at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me, also to one abnormally born." Now historians believe, and you can check this out on the the Fount of All Knowledge, which is Wikipedia, um, that this was written in AD 53 or 54, 20 to 25 years after the events of resurrection, about the same length of time between now and that plaque that was put up on that church wall. Not a long time. Lots of those people, Paul said, would still be alive. You could go and check it out. You could go and find somebody who'd encountered the risen Jesus and said, well, was that true? Did you really meet him? And people would say, yeah, that was true. I really saw him. And the Roman world, the world into which this is written, the Greek world, the Greek city that this is written to, was a very civilized place. They were thinking people. Who remembers Pythagoras' theorem at school? Who can tell me about it? Please don't. I have no desire to hear about it. I sort of know roughly what it is. What about the writings of Plato? Plato was a Greek philosopher. I might have a bit more joy explaining what he thought. But they were clever people. They were thinking people. If something could be disproved, the Greeks would disprove it. They wouldn't just take a myth or a legend. They had lots of those of their own. They had myths and legends of ghosts coming back to life. But the idea of physical bodily resurrection was just as alien to them as it would be to us today. But Paul presents the evidence. All these people have seen him. The early church certainly believed that they had experienced that Jesus had risen from the dead in that short period preceding his resurrection and ascension. And many of those first disciples went around preaching, giving their lives, actually, because they believed in a risen Messiah. They believed that actually this message of resurrection was true. And since then, there is an unbroken line of Christians, people who have said, I've encountered the risen Jesus, not physically, but by his spirit. Now, I count myself amongst those people as somebody who has encountered in my own life personally, the risen Jesus, the risen Christ. So this Easter day, why is this such good news? Why is it such good news that Jesus came out of that tomb? Well, the first thing is, is that Jesus removes the dead end. 2 Corinthians, Paul's second letter to the church in Corinth, chapter 4, verse 14. Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. Remember the road to the waterfall, the road that goes nowhere, the dead end. Remember the plaque on the wall? Resurrection is the removal of those things. It means that actually there is hope beyond this life. And throughout the Bible, we are told time and time again that actually as human beings, we have a real problem. And the problem is this, is that we die. We die because of sin. We die because of our rebellion against God. Because of the rubbish things we do to ourselves, the rubbish things we do to one another, the conflicts that we cause in the world, it all makes everything go downhill. We remembered on Good Friday that actually Jesus took all of that. We deserved it, but he took it. He took it onto himself. And he died a criminal's death. He died defeating the powers of sin and of darkness. And even the claim of death couldn't hold him. Even the claim of death. He defeats death itself. Paul tells us because of that, there is no dead end. When we know Jesus, the grave is not the full stop. There is life beyond, there is something to look forward to. Now, this week, invitations have gone out, I understand, from Charles III and Camilla. Invitations to the coronation. I've not received one, surprisingly. But, you know, an invitation greater than that was given out 2,000 years ago in a garden tomb. We were looking at it at the service at the dam. As Jesus turns to his friend Mary and simply calls her by name, there is an invitation to be part of everything that Jesus has done, everything that Jesus is doing in bringing about God's great rescue, the making of everything new. See, there is no dead end in Jesus. And because there is no dead end, Jesus can transform our today. Finding overarching purpose in life can be difficult. I don't know if you sometimes find that. And um, we we all create our own meaning in life. And it's good that we do that. We're designed by God to be creative, interesting people. And so I don't know what you create meaning from it in your life. I mean, for me, it would be things like my calling as a minister... Being a musician gives me a sense of purpose, having friends and family, even down to small things like, you know, making the garden look nice and painting a room. They all create senses of meaning and senses of purpose. But when we put that into the history of the universe, that is all small scale stuff, isn't it? You know, at best it gets a plaque on a wall. But actually, then we look at the story of what Jesus has done, the defeat of death, the openings of the gates of heaven. And we see that actually our life can become part of something that is so much more radical, so much bigger, so much more worthwhile, something of eternal value. We can be part of a bigger story that knows no ending. Now, if you've heard all this before, Resurrection Day is just a day to be thankful, isn't it? That we now have this kind of purpose. But if you're sat here today and think, well, actually, I don't have that kind of purpose in life. I don't know where my eternity is heading. I don't know what all this means. Could I encourage you you now. Come and chat to me. Come and pray with one of our prayer team at the end of the service. We would love to talk to you more about this. But Jesus also transforms our tomorrow. Over lockdown, just think three years ago. Remember lockdown? Lockdown one um, when it was beautiful weather and we had nothing to do. And I remember sitting there watching film after film in the evening And I have watched so many films, I can no longer sit and watch a film. I just get bored. I find that I have to go and do something else instead. Um, Anyone like watching films? Yeah, quite a lot of people. Anyone like films that have sad endings? (laughs) I'll come and talk to you after. (laughs) But you know, lots of films actually follow the same sort of storyline, don't they? Whether it's a Disney film or a Marvel film or whatever it is. And the story is this. Something nice happens at the start, then there's a twist where something bad happens, and then it all goes nice again. That's my summary of most films. (laughs) But actually, when you watch a film and the ending is anything but nice, we feel a bit lost. We're not quite sure what to do. It doesn't resonate with us. We want there to be something good afterwards. Now, Claire and I were at a funeral of a a friend of ours last week, a, a really amazing man who'd been a Christian for, oh, I don't know, 70-odd years. And he was somebody who had preached, he'd taught, he's opened his home to strangers. He sang with a very loud voice the praises of Jesus. He was the kind of person you always knew that he was in the room. And one of his daughters gave the tribute at the end, and she just finished with the line, he is now in the presence of God, singing God's praise in an incredibly loud voice. (laughs) And it just made me think, absolutely, absolutely. This is what Jesus does. He brings this kind of hope. It says in 1 Thessalonians, it's Paul writing again. He says in chapter 4, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. So we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. See, the hope of Resurrection Day is that Jesus having come out of the tomb means we will come out of ours when we follow him. That we will be with him forever and ever. Now that is the most incredibly good news, isn't it? That is life transforming. That is eternity changing good news. But it's good news that demands a response. It's not good news we can leave in a book on the shelf. It's a good news that means that we have to come to the risen Jesus and say, yes, I want to follow you. I want to be part of this. So can I encourage you today, whether it is for the first time or the thousandth time, whatever it is, just to respond to the risen Christ, to respond to this amazing good news, to respond to the claims of Jesus, because he is not here. He has risen. He remains risen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that today is a day of incredible good news of eternity changing good news. And I want to pray for each of us in this room, each of us watching online. You'll help us in whatever way it is that we need to, to respond to the good news of resurrection. Lord, by your spirit, would you open our eyes afresh to see you, to know you in your risen power, We thank you, Jesus, that you came. Thank you that you were obedient to all your Father called you to do. And thank you that because you have been raised, we too may be raised. Amen.